My name is Bill White, and I serve as senior pastor of the Christ Journey Church in South Florida in Miami, and uh, we have a campus in Kendall. We welcome you. We have a campus in Gables. We welcome you. To those of you joining us through our church online, across the nation, around the world, as you're making your connection with us today, and I wonder if we couldn't all begin by, with one voice, say this, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard. Okay, let's try it again. Turn it up a little bit more. Nothing is too hard for God. And that's so significant as we begin this message, second in the series, When Your Happy Ever After Isn't. And we find ourselves facing some nightmare scenarios in our world. Tough topics, big topics, actually. Some of them feel a lot bigger than we are. And the one today, drug addiction, substance abuse, opioids, big, bigger than me, <laughs> Uh, This topic is personal to me because not only do I have experience as a teenage abuser, which I was, um, but when I was a student pastor, the first funeral that I ever participated in was one of the teenagers in my group who had died under the influence. When I became a pastor in Texas and I had my first church to be pastor, the first funeral in that church was a young adult who had wrapped his truck around a telephone pole driving under the influence. So these aren't just issues for me. I mean, this is real for me personally. And I'm telling you, one is too many. And I've had many more since coming here. Helen Marie Witte was my youngest daughter's best friend. And she uh, was killed on 57th Avenue by a teen driver who had been drinking and smoking pot and was behind the wheel. I called Don Van Orsdell this week. Well, actually, it was last week when I was doing some early preparation on this message. And Don, as many of you know, of Van Orsdell Funeral Homes, long respected in our community, part of Christ Journey Church. And I said, Don, what are you seeing when it comes to uh, substance abuse, death by substance abuse? He said, I mean, just off the top of his, of his heart, of his head, saying, you know, in the past two months, Bill, we've had three young adults overdose deaths. And then he called me back later. He said the 2017 coroner's report actually reported 434 deaths in 2017, the highest number of deaths non-natural in our county, and all of them drug-related. Drug overdose deaths, substance abuse deaths, 434. So this isn't just an issue, though it is an issue. It's a tough issue, but it's a tough issue that touches us in tender places. One of those tender places for me is Kyle Dodds. I have Kyle's, Kyle was a star athlete from Key Biscayne. I have his photograph on my office desk right by my computer. I pray for the Dodds family every day as we remember and miss him together. Uh, Right now there is a curbside in Overtown with a plaque memorializing the place where he fell dead, September 26, 2016. The toxicology report found cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, and carfentanyl in his system. The lethal mix that the drug dealer who had just sold to him um, 
that he had just taken. So listen, um, listen now as his parents, Mark and Cindy, bring us into some of their story. Hi, my name's Mark Dodds. And I'm Cindy Dodds. Um, we've been going to church here about 10 years at least. We have two sons, Logan and, the, and Kyle. Kyle passed away about two and a half years ago due to substance abuse. Um, great kid, coach's dream. We have great memories, and um, he was unable to overcome substance abuse. Kyle's um, obvious gift from a very young child was athletics. His gift of laughter, loyalty, friendship. I mean, he had a lot of gifts, but athletics was what he's known for. But at 15, he was playing for a local high school. He received a, an opioid for pain, and from the first pill, he was euphoric. Now for us, we just thought he was out of pain, and that's what it was. The science tells us that an opioid does nothing for actual pain. It only prohibits the receptors in your brain from feeling it. So once the pain is actually subsided in the injury area, addiction can begin, and your brain begins to mimic the pain because it wants the drug. Kyle called that the monster that lived in his head. He didn't want to be like this. This was not who he was. And every time he had sobriety after rehab, he was full of joy, determination, but this monster really never goes away. It's pretty hard. So he lost his battle. As he tried to fight this, the shame of not being able to overcome it and what it did to our family and how he felt about himself, he wasn't as involved here as we'd have loved for him to be, but he was at Bill White's shaving cream fight. He was part of that stuff. He was here, he sat here and heard it, and um, didn't want to be the person he had turned into. And I, I guess I just want to say that we were naive going in, and we tried maybe a little too much to do it on our own, and if you need help, get it, get it early, because there's a lot of things stacked against our kids as far as the addiction and what people think they can do and get away with and what it does to their bodies. Kids don't understand, parents don't understand the devastating consequences of what even marijuana, alcohol, all of it, and what that leads to along the way. And um, in our Christian family, Christian body here, just to, to not try and go it alone, to seek help, walk through with other people, and um, to not be affected by Satan telling you, by the voice of, you're not good parents, you screwed up, and to keep your mouth shut. We need help from believers to help us fight through it. When I say that, that's not blaming the church, that's blaming me in my head, that I'm gonna shut my mouth and beat this on my own instead of asking for help. But we were in survival mode because as we know now, because there's so much education out there, that addiction is a family disease. It affects every member of your family. And you start to get into survival mode. You know, we're reaching out for help. We're trying to help our kid. We don't want to ruin his future. What does that look like? Is he gonna, you know, just give up on life? Going it alone and in a lot of ways, because as we sought counseling for Kyle, as we sought counseling for ourselves to get through all of this, um, there was tough love, there was love love, and at the end of it everybody told us, you know, you could do all of these things and it still doesn't work out. You could still lose them. So it's, you're, you're grasping and you're pleading with the Lord, you know, fix my kid. 
fix my kit. And, um, you know, once this monster's out, and that's what Kyle called it, Mom, it is a monster in my head that before I'm even awake, he's already sending the cravings through my body. I mean, that's, that's a rough battle for any person. And it ran very deep in him, because the earlier you start, the more you hardwire this into your brain because it's still forming and it seizes this as this is who you are. And you have to work very, very hard retraining your brain to say, this is not who I am. But in Christ, we are new. We don't know why he's the one that didn't make it. It might seem kind of funky that talking about being a great kid when he ended up dying on 219 Northwest 10th Street in Miami. He made a decision as a young boy to accept Jesus Christ as a savior. He lived it for a long time. <clears throat> you could see it in his life. These things that happened drew him away from um, walking the way he should have. Unfortunately, get us to where we are, but the part where he made the decision and he's in heaven, and I don't believe that because it makes me feel good. It's, it's in scripture, I'm going to see him again. Two years, five years, 30 years, whenever we will see him again. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. And it seems to me substance abuse, alcohol, addiction, opioids, they fit the bill of thief and killer. Um, Mark and Cindy Dodds are here. They always sit right over there. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for sharing with us. We love you. Your church family is here for you. My gateway drug was marijuana. And I was first introduced to it at 16. Um, I think I just wanted to be included. You know, I started because I wanted to be accepted. And then it grew to, no, I want to feel the high. And then that grew to, hey, I, it was just an act of pride and rebellion. You know, a deliberate act of rebellion. I, I like the thought of getting away with something, of being smarter than the system, right? of not getting caught. And I was a smart kid, top of my class, honor society, academic scholarship to university, but within a year of using, of starting to use, I was stealing drugs from the drugstore where I worked and um, selling and trading them. My parents never drank. My dad was a smoker, cigarette smoker all of his life, but that's about as wild as it got at my house. But at 16, I still felt distanced from him. He, he told me one time, he said, Billy, if you ever get yourself thrown in jail, don't expect me to come get you out. You know what I heard? Don't get caught. And I thought, huh, <laughs> I'm smart. I won't get caught. And so I didn't. And neither did my friend whose family was Assembly of God that I was doing drugs with, and neither did my other friend, who was the son of a city councilman in town whose family was Mormon. We just didn't get caught. But the drugs caught up with me. As a freshman at Arizona State University, um, long story short, I swallowed something that came in the mail to me from another friend. 
had no real idea what it was, but I swallowed it. And, uh, and that night, it, it literally, at the party where I was with my other friends were getting high and smashed, and I was feeling the, the sensitivity just leave. I couldn't feel a thing with my fingers, with my skin. I was feeling absolutely nothing. And um, I, I, it was like, it, it took from me that sense of touch, of feeling. And I was in my body, but it was like an empty shell. That's what I felt like there. And um, I was an observer, kind of inside a shell and empty. I looked around the room where everybody else was getting high, and, and it suddenly dawned on me, you know what? They don't really know me. They don't care about me. They don't know what's going on inside of me. They just want me here because of the stuff that I bring. And uh, then I thought about my parents living 2,000 miles away now in Kansas City, and I remember how happy I was to get away from them. You know, free at last. I can just do what I want, when I want, because I want to. But I wasn't feeling so free at that moment. I thought about being in college and getting a degree, and then once I graduate, getting a job, and... and uh, working for the man, and if the company doesn't shut down like my dad's did and was unemployed for tailspin years of his life, um, I thought, maybe I'd get a few vacations worked in and then you die. What's that? What's the point of that? And I, I went to the bathroom. I remember getting up from the chair in which I was sitting, and I went into the bathroom, and um, and I just couldn't feel a thing. Uh, my entire body, I, I wasn't feeling anything. And then I, I remembered another friend who at 16 had put a gun to his head and taken his own life, and I suddenly realized, oh, this is why. You know, <laughs> this isn't life. This is no life. I've ruined it. I, I've, uh, I'm trapped in my own body. I've fried my brain, and now there's no way out. That's how I, and, and I was empty and hopeless, and that was when I sensed this voice. I don't know how to describe it. I didn't hear it audibly, but I sensed a voice calling my name and answering a prayer that I had prayed earlier that night. Before I took that drug, I said, God, if you're real, watch over me tonight. And so when the voice uh, spoke, um, I'll pick that story up later. How about that? But that's how smart I was. The reason I'm telling you the story is because that's how smart I was. I thought I was smart, but I was being played the fool by drugs that came to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Did me. The Bible says, whatever a man sows, that's what he reaps. <laughs> Did me. In a quote I found recently, sure fit me. Our deepest addiction is to our own ego, and through this addiction, our relationship to everything else is ruined. Thank you, Wendy. You're reading my book. You know, what, what, uh, what I discovered was, as Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So, and you know what? I don't only need to be freed from killer, thieving drugs. <laughs> I needed to be saved from me from myself, because my pride and my narcissism, was my ego was driving this whole machine forward into self-destruction. The Bible says pride goes before fall. Hey, did for me. Man, that fall, I mean, it was a body slam that woke me up because of the abuse. 
And uh, you know what our Christ Journey survey shows? Over 500 of us responding when we sent that thing out. It shows this. Your st- my story is not stranger to you. In fact, the hundreds of us responding on that survey said that every category of our relationships have been affected by drug and alcohol addiction. Over 37% of our extended family members, 23% of our close friends, 17% of our brothers and sisters, 22% of our parents. Wait a minute, one in five of us know this as a family issue from our parents. And then 11% of us say, we struggle personally. If you're in a group of 10 people, one in 10 in the church responding to the survey said, I'm no stranger to this. This isn't an issue, you know, this is people. This isn't out there, this is right here. So what do we do? Well, maybe you noticed I quoted some Bible in my story earlier, we do that around here. We quote the Bible, but we seek to understand it through following Jesus. So what does Jesus say? Jesus said, the thief comes. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, it's a dangerous world that we live in, and it has predators in it. And uh, the question about how do I respond to the predators? Well, the verse goes on. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. I want you to have it to the full. So I want to get in on that, right? Even in a predatory, dangerous world, God says, in Christ, I will come to you. How do you get in on that? He says, you can't get to me, but I will come to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus is a friend to sinners. This is what we talked about last week. He was then, he still is, and that means that when we feel futility, when we've been cast aside, when we've been marginalized, that Jesus, when people like me feel trapped in a disease in de- with demons and decisions that we've made that can't be unmade, Some decisions you make can't be unmade once they're made. That Jesus says, God's spirit is on me and I have come to set the captives free. So what we can't do for ourselves, he comes to do for us and makes himself available to to us right where we are. Now that's significant today because I realize we're all in church and we're kind of singing spiritual songs and, but maybe there's another part of your life like there was in my life at the time that just hadn't said it out loud yet, but what was happening when nobody was looking. Jesus has a plan for meeting us right here. It's called soul irrigation. Could we say these words together, all of our campuses together right now? Soul irrigation. Here's Jesus' plan. He wants to irrigate your soul with his Holy Spirit. Other fields have... uh, have different approaches. You know, schools want to educate, lawmakers want to legislate, law enforcement seek to confiscate the illegal substance or eradicate the dealers that distribute it, right? And we respect each in their area. But what does Jesus want to do? He says, I want to irrigate the human soul. This is my plan. He knows there's a thirst in every human being, a thirst in every human being. That's why he started one of his talks this way. Is anybody thirsty? Yeah, I am. You are, I'm thirsty for life. I'm thirsty for excitement. When I'm bored, I need something to like pump me up. When I feel trapped, what do I need? I'm thirsty for something to set me free. When I feel excluded, I need something. I'm thirsty for something to include me, to make me part of the group. I think a lot of teenagers, a lot of young people start 
drugs. They try it because not because of the drugs, but because of their friends. We just want to be included. We're thirsty to be accepted. Some people, young people, do it because they feel trapped in a bad family situation and they're looking for escape. Sometimes a teen will do drugs because other people are doing it. And, uh, and they heard somebody say this, you know, I dare you, or, or they say, um, you know, I'll try anything once. And then it sounds like, wow, I want to live on the edge, you know, I want to get all there is to get. I want to show up. And today you'll hear people say this, but it's legal in Colorado or whatever state, you know. So maybe I just ought to hit the pause button there for a second. Let me remind you, young people especially, just because something is a legal right doesn't mean it's not a personal wrong. <laughs> okay? This is what my discovery is. How many families, how many lives in our nation right now are being destroyed and disrupted by legal substances that are being considered legal in our world and yet they're doing deep personal damage? So it's like heads up. As you grow up, you kind of get a heads up, and you got to say, you know, just because something is a legal right doesn't mean it's not a personal wrong. Paul says a little bit later, just because something, just because you can do something doesn't mean it'll be good for you. We thirst for relief from pain. Sometimes we're introduced through a medical prescription Opioids, for instance, prescribed for pain management. The Mayo Clinic says this. If you're not wanting to pay attention to a thing I say, how about this from Mayo Clinic? Anyone who takes opioids is at risk of developing addiction. Anyone. Seriously? This isn't some preacher talking? No, this is anyone. These are the doctors, Mayo Clinic. And it's impossible to predict who's vulnerable to dependence on and the abuse of these drugs. Legal or illegal, stolen or shared, steroids right now are responsible for the majority of overdose deaths in the United States. Today, what do the doctors say? Well, they say, here's what addiction is. Addiction is a condition that starts as something is pleasurable and now it feels like something you can't live without. You're now chained in, Right? Addiction is the irresistible craving for a drug, out-of-control compulsive use of the drug, and then continued use of the drug despite repeated harmful consequences. And then they say this, opioids are highly addictive because they activate powerful reward centers in the brain. They, they alter your brain chemistry. What does that mean? It simply put, it's like this. Something that we thought was going to help cure has actually become a curse. A thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And into that, Jesus says, I have some life to offer. I have hope. I have healing. I have help. So what I want to do is just pull back the curtain for, for a moment now for us today and, and try to look into Jesus in the inner workings of his inner spiritual life. You ever wondered what was going on in, in there? Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How does that work? You know, this is a great mystery of our faith. What, what's going on if you lift... Under the hood in Jesus' life, what's going on in there? Well, Hebrews 4 tells us that he, uh, the humanity of Jesus means that he understands us at, in our at-risk condition. He feels it. He knows it because he experienced it. 
Pick it up in verse 15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, to feel. But we have one who's been tempted. That means put to the test in every way, just as we are. And yet, he conquered. He was without sin. There's a way. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That's what God wants to do for us today. And Jesus, in truth, knows what we're going through, and he knows how to conquer it. He knows the way through it because he's been there, and he is now full of grace, full of mercy, of the stuff that it takes to heal our hearts, and full of grace and truth, John says. And that applies not just on this weekend, but on every tough topic that we will be teaching about, every tough topic that you will ever have to face. Nothing is too hard for God in Jesus Christ, full of grace, full of truth, and he can lead us through. Note the words, sympathize with our weaknesses. One version translates that touched, touched with our infirmities. Jesus is not unable to sympathize is the way the writer puts it. You know the double negative in the Greek, you know what that means? This is what it means. He can't not feel you. Think about that for a moment. God can't not feel you. He knows what's going on inside of you. Be what's went on inside of Jesus Christ. When I was taking those drugs, it was taking my sensitivities away. But when God took on the body of humanity in Jesus Christ, it was heightening his sensitivities. So he feels you. He gets you. Now, some theologian is already saying, oh, he understood because he made me and he could touch me. Yeah, you know why he did it? So you would know he gets you. He's not just doing this like a laboratory experiment. <laughs> he was in it for you, for us, empowering God to make him able to be affected with the same feelings we have, to be touched. This is profound. God took on human flesh and blood so that he could feel what you go through. Right now, he feels you. Right now. Tempted in every way, put to the test, tried to the ultimate, and then proven. Our weaknesses, that means he feels our frailties as one of us. The stuff we try to hide from each other, you know, he's right in the middle of those weaknesses. God feels your lack of strength where you're subject to illness, to suffering, to calamity, to disability, to limitations. And one Greek scholar said, to be at risk for wrongful dependencies. Where we are at risk for wrongful to be wrongly dependent. Now imagine Jesus with all of his feelers on. <laughs> As God, Matthew 8, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed, they were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. What was he feeling? This was to fulfill what was written by the prophet Isaiah. He took up our what? Infirmities. Same word as the word in Hebrew 4. Same word. Our at-risk-ness carried our diseases. Luke, the physician, uses the same word. Chapter 5, verse 15. News about him spread all the more. Crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of all of their sicknesses. That's the same Greek word. Frailties, wrongful dependencies. Luke, chapter 8, says Mary Magdalene was one of them. She followed Jesus, and she had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Same word. 
Jesus was feeling them with her and then casting them from her and healing her within it. Same word. Luke 13, Dr. Luke says Jesus sees a woman who's crippled. She's been bent over. He calls her forward. And he says, woman, be free from your infirmity. Same word. So what's it mean? He sees you, he calls you, he feels you, he gets you, and he offers truth that will set you free. He will not leave you where you are. He calls you out. He says, step on forward, and now trust what I got to say to you. What was it he told us last week? We saw this. Jesus said it's the sick that need the doctor, not those who think they are well. God became human to help humans find hope and help and healing. He came for those of us who are diseased, who are demonized, who are wrongfully dependent. He came then, he still does. And he steps right into those areas where our tendency is to shame and to blame and then to walk away and not be changed. But he comes saying this, if anyone's thirsty, is anyone thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Because I'm telling you, out of his innermost being, living rivers of living, streams of living water will flow from within. What does that mean? Here's Jesus' plan. He wants to irrigate your soul with the Holy Spirit to wash over your weaknesses, to cleanse your guilt, my guilt, to restore our humanity. What does the humanity of Jesus mean? He feels you. He gets you. He's touched by what touches you. He knows what makes you vulnerable. And this is what he says to you. Are you thirsty? You feel like you need a drink? Hey, I just need a drink. Yeah, Jesus said, well, come a step over here. You feel like you need a drug? I've got what you need. It's called streams of living water by my Holy Spirit to live within you. Now, may I just get very practical? Um, if you've never done a drug, don't start. That's the only time that you can really just say no. So don't start. If, if you have a taste for alcohol or your, your lips don't know what it, what it tastes like, but you're compelled then all I would say to you is be cautious, be careful. You know why? Because we know you could do it. We know that you could. We also know where it could lead, so why would you want to go there? If you're already in it and you keep going back to it, it's heads up. You say, well, oh, I can stop anytime. I've done it a lot of times. Yeah, and then you start back, and then you start back, and you start back. In some places, that's called denial. And what it is is a heads up, like, hey, time, time to talk to somebody. But we got lots of somebodies in our church. Can I tell you that? We got lots of somebody. We can introduce you to them. We've got support groups. We've got some that are just starting up called Life's Healing Choices that are going to be out of this opportunity today to bring the grace and the truth of Jesus right into the places where we live and fight these monsters in our heads. So, uh, parents, <laughs> you know what? We, uh, we want to protect our kids, don't we? But we also want them to make their own decisions when we're not around, so that, right? In the app, the church app today, rather than do a list here, you go to the app, you'll find resources 
concerning these topics as a parent where you can find some help. But here's what Jesus said. The deep solution, the deep solution isn't just getting, getting and staying sober. It's being filled with living water, experiencing his Holy Spirit flowing in you. Jesus is saying your thirst isn't bad. Your craving isn't bad. Trying to live in denial of your need and your longing for more, that's not, that's not the way we resolve this. It's not bad. Your, your craving is meant to list you to a higher source that can resource your life. He loves you. He gets you. He knows you. He feels you. He's here for you. So what? So let us come boldly to the throne of grace to find help and grace in our time of need. So are you in a time of need? then grace is here for you. Mercy is here for you. God wants to help. And that hole in your soul is like just the right size for God. And that's where it begins. And then we start growing to know him in his fullness. And then when this life ends, as it will for every one of us, then for Christ followers, Jesus said it's just going to get better. And that's what Mark and Cindy are holding on to that we're gonna see our loved ones again in Christ because not even death can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And we're gonna be together again someday. Maybe you also heard Mark say, you know what, don't, if you're a parent, don't let naivete or shame keep you from getting help. This is such a wise word. What's such a courageous thing to say. Why? Because none of us are immune. We're all at risk. And... Um, Yet when we pull together and then together pull the covers off of shame, then together we can see how grace heals shame. It's been a part of my journey too. The night I sensed God call my name, you know what I did? I argued with him. I fought him. I knew who it was. I just knew somehow. I don't know how, but I just knew. I didn't hear a voice, but I had this sense that God was saying, I'm answering your prayer. And I said, no, <laughs> I tried to live your way. I can't do it. I can't do it. My life's a mess. I can't keep your laws. I can't keep your rules. My life's in pieces. Look at me. You know what that was? That, um, that was me telling the truth. I wasn't smart. I wasn't free. I was trapped and my life is in pieces. And into that truth, I heard the voice saying again, sense this again, but I love your pieces too. That was new to me. You know what that's called? Grace. Undeserved favor. Unearned kindness. So it was a moment full of truth and grace. For me, and so then I said, "Well, then here, have my pieces." I was in this party. I remember this is all happening right there, and thinking, "Man, I could die. I should die." And I'm having this talk with God, and so I got up from the party. I went back to my dorm room. I went and got all of the uh, contraband out of the places I had hidden it. Walked down to the bathroom, flushed it down the toilet, and um, and then faced a long night of uh, uncertainty. I just want my mind back. I just want my life back. God, help me. The next day, somebody came to my door, knocked on the door. I'd never met him. He was uninvited. 
Didn't see him after that either, but he said, I'm a Christian, and I'm just making friends with new students on campus. And the long story short was, by the end of the conversation, he had set me down and helped me understand how God's Holy Spirit wanted to flow, fill my life and flow through my life and then forgive all of my sins, including my pride and my moral failures, many of them, all of them, in fact, and, and then empower me to live a new kind of life. And so that's when my Christ journey began. You know, that's why we call the Christ journey is that Christ, by his spirit, comes alive inside of us. And I'll tell you what, long story short, once again, I've never abused another illegal substance. Now, that's um, not everybody's story, but it is my story. So I want to tell my story for, for the truth here. Glory to God. I met the man from Galilee. No more abuse for me. And the son has set me free. And as a result, that's how I wound up here. Um, a lot of work to do through the years. I'm still doing work. But I didn't work for my salvation. I worked it out. God works it in, and then we work it out by faith. We receive the gift of salvation by faith, and then by faith we continue to trust what he says and keep pushing forward, overcoming and overcoming and overcoming until he calls us to be with him. Now, if you're thinking you want to go to heaven someday, here's what I can tell you. You need to let heaven come to you today. And that's what Jesus means when he says, I want to irrigate your soul with my spirit. I want to bring some heaven into you. And then that's how we start displacing the lesser gods that have been thieves and killers in our lives. Would you pray with me? For somebody right now, this is your moment, isn't it? You know it is. You know it like you've known few other things that you have heard truth and God is inviting you to, to embrace truth so that he can pour grace all over you because he loves you, he feels you, he knows you, he wants you. You can lean in right now. Lord, I hear you, I'm leaning in. You may be arguing with him like I did, but you know the bottom line is you're God and I need you. Would you say that to him? And maybe for someone, maybe for you, this is the beginning of your Christ journey. You've been religious before. You've tried to keep the rules and you realize you can't. But today, I'm telling you, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And he meets us right in our broken place. And that's where he pours his grace. So would you let that truth bring you to him? You can do that with this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for being God in the flesh to feel me, to know me, to love me, to give yourself for me, that all of my sins could be forgiven. So forgive my sins. Come into my life. I believe you rose from the dead, so now I'm opening my spirit, my heart, my mind to invite you to make yourself known to me and let the journey begin. I had still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, then I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand wherever you're seated. If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner you can click right there. Kendall Campus, our pastor's watching and praying right now. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We 
we've got hands in the room, front, back, side. Thank you, God. And so now we all join together in this prayer, Lord, for every hand raised representing a heart that's open and hearing your call. Is anyone thirsty? Oh, Lord, how we pray that you would cause them to sense and feel the living water already rising and lifting them to a new life and help us to love each other the way that sets us all free. In your name we pray, amen.